Thanks. It's great to be with you. And uh, I got to spend some time uh, with Tom and Debbie, your pastor. Uh, on Friday, we had dinner. We got to share pastor stories, you know, and uh, encourage one another with, uh, you know, how we're going to preach. So after talking with Tom, I've uh, reevaluated uh, uh, my redemptive analogies in Superman after his passionate exegesis of Superman as a redemptive analogy. So really enjoyed the time with Pastor, and you guys are blessed to have someone that loves the Word of God helping lead your congregation here. Sorry, my family couldn't be here. Uh, the girls are still in school, and, but they're hoping to come visit this summer uh, to see you all. We do uh, count you guys as family and really thank you for being here. If you're joining us online today, um, we've spent most of our time during the, the COVID on, online as well. Let me encourage you. One of the practices that we found really great as a family is that after things are done, rather than, you know, usually you just kind of leave here when you're at home, sit and talk. Talk about, we asked three questions. What did you hear? And what do you think God's asking you to do? So what stood out to you? What is God's doing? So if you're online today, I want to encourage you to be sure to take some time at the end of the service to say, what am I hearing? What is God asking me to do? It's a great opportunity to be with your family or whoever else is there with you. This weekend is a global missions uh, weekend. A guy that you saw there on the thing, Moxette, was supposed to be here. We were actually supposed to preach together. Uh, we waited until the 14th of April. Still couldn't get clearance with the COVID. From He's living in Sweden uh, right now. So I'm, we've got a short video. Just so you get to meet Moxette, he's one of the newest missionary uh, partners here at, at Lake City. I'll tell you a little bit more about him, but let me just say, uh, Moxette speaks nine languages, but English is not his first language. <laughs> he and his wife work for two hours to do this video clip, so I definitely want to show it to you so you get a chance to meet them. Hello from Sweden, my dear brothers and sisters. My name is Moxette Jabbat-Bilgenov. She's my wife. Hello, my name is Aigul. First of all, I thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ for this opportunity. Even we are living in Sweden, we can, we could give for you our greetings and we can share with our ministry. In such difficult time as pandemic, we couldn't visit your church, but I hope very, very soon we'll meet with you face by face and encourage each other. Dear brothers and sisters, let us give all of you our thankfulness. Your church doing a lot of things for these peoples who is living in this area and your church doing a lot of things in our life also. You are all of you supporting us with praying and with uh, finance and uh, how it's possible you are supporting us and encouraging us. We are working second year right now, almost uh, Turkey global team, Turkey Russia world. In this area, living over 220 million unreached peoples. Almost mostly people Muslim. So we need your prayer and we need your support. Please keep prayer for us. It's very encourage us when we hear uh, a lot of brothers and sisters from uh, another country, from United States, uh, supporting us with uh, prayer and with finance. We are working together. Thank you for uh, you, all of you, may Lord bless your church and may Lord bless United States. We love you, brothers and sisters. Bye. Bye. Uh, Moxad and Aigul are both very passionate people. That doesn't quite uh, capture it right there for them. They were working so hard to communicate. Uh, well with you. Maxet was uh, born in a Muslim family, found out when he was about 13 that he was adopted and it devastated his life. And so with all the anger and pain, like he would, uh, he started to go to the, to the Medrasa, the, the Islamic school to learn more about God because he just was filled with such pain and rejection and it didn't really bring any life to him. In fact, he would go to the Medrasa, uh, you know, during the day and study in the night, he would, he would go out to bars and beat up non-Muslims just to help make himself uh, feel better. Here's a Boxer. 
so in this, his pain continued to grow. And he, while he was working out at the gym, he met another man that was a Muslim background follower of Jesus. And the man, they started talking about spiritual things. And so uh, he has this question to Moxette. He says, hey, so Moxette, so you're studying Arabic, right? And he goes, yeah. So do you understand Arabic? No. You're a Muslim. You have to pray in Arabic. That's right. Do you understand what you're saying? No. So then the guy asked him, so are you telling me that God doesn't understand if you speak to him in your own language? Moxette said, huh, <laughs> if he's Allah, he ought to be able to understand everything. That kind of bothered him, you know, that everything had to be in Arabic. They conversation. The guy says to him one day, he says, Moxette, I have something to tell you. God loves you. Moxette's mind was blown. He goes, that's impossible. My own parents didn't love me. They abandoned me. How could, Allah, how could the God of all creation love me? There's no way. And for two months, he's just, he's battling this thing, this thing this guy says to him, that God loves him. Well, after two months, he's, he's just like, I'm all in. I, I, I can't stand my life. He becomes a follower of Jesus, gets radically born again. Day one, starts telling Muslims about Jesus, everyone. I mean, he's, he studied the Quran. He knows exactly how to speak to Muslims about the crown. In the first two years, 90 churches plant. He lands in jail. That's why. 90 churches planted. And uh, so I really hope you guys get to meet uh, Moxet someday. Uh, he's one of, looking forward to coming to the church, and he's one of the newest missionary partners. So pray for Moxet Aigul. It's a privilege to work with him in global teams. He's been with us about two years. And in the Turco-Russian world, where Lake City has adopted an unreached people group, actually several, the Kumuk, Akin, and Nogai. You'll hear a little bit about those at the lunch if you come for that. Uh, last week, uh, you studied um, in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to continue today. The title of the sermon today is The Power of Small. We're going to talk about seeds, the parables uh, that Jesus told there. Now, I, I'm really excited. I love to just preach from the Word of God. And one of the things, Lake City, they often work through a book. And uh, it's challenging for me to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what do you want to say in this? Now, I really believe any place you land in the book, it's about missions. From Genesis to the maps. It's all about God's unfolding plan. You can read it in Revelation. It says, and it'll be there from every tribe, tongue, and nation. People praising the Lamb and say, glory to the Lamb. So that's where we're headed. The book's about it. I hope you'll find out that I'm not doing violence to the text today, but you'll see right here in the parables that Jesus is talking about the global mission of the kingdom of God. Now, you studied last week uh, the, the parable of the soils. So I listened to, to Pastor Jim. And if you remember, one of the things that one of the messages was that the seed is good. It's the soil that matters. And the soil was what? Hearts of men and women. I just want to take just 30 seconds. And said, so let's just prepare our hearts, shall we? So if you're watching online, we're just going to be quiet for, for just 30 seconds and say, Lord, teach me. I'm ready. Just prepare your heart to receive the word of God this morning. Father, we lay aside everything else and say, teach us. Let your word find a place in our heart to bear fruit. Thank you for the Holy Spirit to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we jump in, we're going to jump in with the parables. Pastor Jim last week talked a little bit about the parables and the ways that we understand the parables and ways to uh, interpret them. I'd like to suggest just a couple of other things as we get ready to jump in uh, to the two, uh, two parables or four parables or how you want to look at it today. And that is, why is the purposes? What is Jesus trying to accomplish through the parables? So I believe there's some other purposes. Pastor Jim said last week, the, question, the purpose of the parables is usually to answer a question. And he gave an example from the parable of the soils. I'd like to suggest to you, one of the other reasons that Jesus tells parables is to raise questions. Jesus is trying for people to ask questions. You can see this in the text. He tells the story, the disciples go, can you tell us what that means? They didn't understand. Jesus was trying to prompt questions with them to ask what's going on. Have you guys watching The Chosen? Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, I just love uh, how someone has captured this, the backstory of people meeting Jesus. And I, I just love, I, I mean, OCD, 
Matthew, isn't that awesome? You know, <laughs> just so great. And, and how their stories are coming up and then, then they meet Jesus. And Nicodemus, I love the story because Jesus is baiting Nicodemus all the time with telling him stuff that makes Nicodemus ask questions. How did that demon get set free? Who is this man? What did he say? And we have the encounter in John 3 where Nicodemus is talking to Jesus and he says, a man must be born again. Talk about obscure. Why is he doing that? It's to raise questions. It's making Nicodemus press in and ask more questions. Now the parables, however, can, even though they raise questions, we can be deceived by their simplicity. Especially if you've heard them. Like if you've been in church and heard the stories, you're like, listen to the parable. Oh yeah, I know what that means. Here's an example. There's the story of the pearl of great price. You know that one? This is Matthew 13. We're going to look at several places in Matthew 13. And the buried treasure. And I was in seminary class, and the seminary professor was saying that, you know, that in rabbinic teaching styles, one of the things they do is parallelism. They repeat the same thing in different words to emphasize a point. And he gave some examples in the Psalms how it was the same thing. And he says, for instance, Jesus was making the same point about the pearl of great price and the treasure buried in the field. I said, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Can we look at the text? So listen to this and see if you can pick up the subtle difference between these two parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Second one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Could you catch the difference? The first one, the kingdom of heaven is like what? Say it again, loud. It's like treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like buried treasure. In the second one, what is the kingdom of heaven like? No. Exactly. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, and the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. What's the difference? The kingdom of heaven is God's treasure. It's in Jesus. We find Jesus and the gift is free, but we've got to give allegiance to him. Everything we've got now belongs to him to get this treasure and we have great joy. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure, buried treasure. Oh my goodness, for those of that have experienced, if you haven't experienced the treasures of God in the Lord Jesus, today you're going to hear more about Jesus. You can experience the treasure of God. It costs you no money but your complete allegiance. Your complete allegiance, you get the traffic. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. The kingdom of heaven. God so loved that he gave, he's a giver. So the kingdom of heaven is seeking men and women, the pearls of great price today, brothers and sisters. The good news is that God, when we were not seeking him, he sought us like a merchant and he values us so much that he gave us Jesus, the best of heaven. So do you see the distinction? Very similar parables, but one is like, so if we don't pay attention, we can miss what Jesus is saying. Second, I'd like to suggest that one of the other reasons that Jesus tells parables is to delay or conceal understanding. To delay or to conceal understanding. So if you're taking notes either online uh, or here in the service, you'll hopefully see on the screen, uh, this is to your notes, to conceal or delay understanding. Now, last week, Pastor Jim talked about this. He said that this marked a turning point in his ministry when the Pharisees blasphemed against the Holy Spirit and rejecting the claims that the Holy Spirit was bringing. And so Pastor Jim said, from this point on, you can see in the text, he starts to teach in parables. And he said there's basically three audiences now that Jesus has to address. He has the Pharisees, who are now becoming openly antagonistic to Jesus. He has the crowd who there's people in their instance and that are interested and there's people that just want to play him. You know, they want him to, you know, kick the Romans out, feed them all the time. And then there's the true disciples. So now Jesus tells parables to all three audiences, knowing that all three are listening and they're going to have different responses. Jesus knows that the haters are going to hate, hate, hate. And the players, they're going to play, play, play. But Jesus, he's going to shake it shake it. If you're over 50, you didn't get it. If you're under 25, I'm sorry you had to see that. <clears throat> but, but Jesus knows the audience and he's telling parables to conceal the meeting because he knows some of Now here's a story. Jesus tells a story, another parable about a guy that owns a vineyard. 
And he, and he owns a vineyard, and he rents it out to people, and then he tries to send servants to go get money from the vineyard because he's rented it out. And they beat up the servants. They don't pay him. They beat servants. He finally sends his son, and they kill his son. They say, look, this is the heir and the stuff. And then Jesus says, have you never heard the story? Have you never read in the scriptures where it says that the stone that the jewelers rejected will become the chief cornerstone? It's beautiful in sight. And it says that the Pharisees perceived in the story that he was speaking about them. You can see the Pharisees going, did he? Is he talking? Is he talking about us? You think he's talking about us? So the meaning, so the one goes, Dad, I think he's talking about us. Shh, maybe the crowds won't get it. Let's be quiet. The crowds go home. They hear the story. They get home. They're talking to one another what Jesus says. And they go, ah, he was speaking about the Pharisees. Solid burn, Jesus. Solid burn. But it's concealed. So there's no riot. They're not up in arms. Good and so he's concealing meaning because he wants people to ask questions. He wants them to pursue him. See, I heard a guy say this this way. God is not found by casual inquiry. Let me say that again. God is not found by casual inquiry. inquiry. The kingdom of heaven is by those who seek and keep seeking, those who ask and keep asking, those who knock and keep knocking. So by concealing the word, he's asking people and inviting people to press into Jesus. Colossians 1 says this great verse, in Christ, in Christ are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of God. They're hidden in Christ, not for us, or not from us, but for us. Now, every, everybody understands this in life. Everybody understands you don't get somewhere without hard work, without paying the cost. You don't run the race to win unless you train. You don't get a good business unless you press in. You don't understand calculus, I'm a math teacher, unless you practice and you get after it. And Jesus is saying, you just don't get it by just hanging around me. you got to want it. And so by telling parables, he's drawing out people that want it, that get the riches of Christ. There's this cool verse in Proverbs 25. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. It's the glory of God to hide something. It's the glory of his people to figure it out, dig it up, figure it out. And you've all had this experience. You're studying the word. You know the Holy Spirit's saying something. You go at it. You study it. It starts to unfold. You start to see something. God starts to show you how the word's going to apply to your life. Maybe it's raising your kids, your business. And you go, whoa, it's awesome. And it was the pursuit. Did you know that if you take a cocoon and you slice it open and get the butterfly out, it dies? It actually needs the fight to live to come out to be a healthy butterfly. So I believe that Jesus uh, does this so the question so that we pursue God. Now, another one reason that he conceals meaning, he makes it hidden, is suggested by the text. And Pastor Jim uh, read it yesterday, but let me just read it again from Matthew. It's a little bit longer. The disciples say, why are you telling parables? And Jesus quotes to them this from Isaiah. You, this people, will indeed hear but never understand. They will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. Now, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty convinced of this because I've been studying for a while, but I'm, I'm not going to land on this like this is what the Bible says. But I believe that the Bible teaches that God, Jesus, is concealing meaning, meaning from people through parables, to suspend judgment. It's an act of mercy. James says, whoever knows what is right to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When you sin, you have consequences. You can see this in the major prophets, in particular in Isaiah and Jeremiah, that the people knew what they were supposed to do and didn't do it, and so they incurred the judgment of God. Therefore, it'll be line by line, step by step. Why? God's saying, listen, if I give you the whole picture and you don't do it, judgment has to follow, has to follow. So I believe one of the reasons that Jesus is actually an act of mercy and kindness by knowing that people won't respond so he conceals meaning and parable. Well, let's take a look here at the scriptures that we have for today. Um, let me, uh, before we get into this, yes, that's right. I changed the order. I'm sorry, you're getting uh, something new. So what we want to do is we want to understand the scripture we're going to look at for today, but I've done some commentaries. I've looked at a lot of different things. I like commentaries, but I believe the best commentary on the Bible. You want to get this? You want to write this down? The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So we're going to look at the Bible to understand the Bible. And I'm not against 
commentaries, but if you want to study the Proverbs, I suggest we read as many, or many parables as we can and see what the, the, the habits are. Now, Jesus takes this, the parable that we read last week, the parable of the, the seeds and the sower, and he explains it to the disciples. Because he says, if you don't understand this one, how are you going to understand the rest of them? There's another parable that Jesus explains to the disciples. Does anyone know which one it is? Scanning, yes. Teachers are supposed to wait five seconds before. Yes? Uh, it's not the vine. Any other guesses before I move on? Yes, thank you. The weeds and the tares. So I, I tried to confirm this this morning, but I'm pretty sure these are the only two parables that Jesus teaches them and says, this is what it means. So in the parable of the weeds and tares in Matthew 13, again, he tells the story and here's the story. Jesus told him another story. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer. Remember, it's important which thing Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in the field. But that night as the workers slept, the enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grains, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer said. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. No, let them both grow together until the harvest, and then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in the bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat in the barn. This is the other parable that he told. The disciples come to him and say, they left the crowds behind. Jesus went into the house. The disciples go in with him and say, please tell us the story of the weeds in the field. This is the meaning. So I want you to listen. Listen closely to the meaning of this one, and keep in mind last week's lesson. Jesus said, the Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people or sons and daughters of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who sows them, the weeds among the wheat, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Anyone who has ears to hear should hear or should pay attention. All right. Track with me. Here we've got two very similar stories. We have a farmer or someone sows. Last week, who was the sower or farmer? Anyone remember? Anybody that sows God's words. It actually, Jesus doesn't say. It says the, the man went out to sow the seed. Okay? So last week we have somebody sowing seed, but it's not. In this one today in the terrace, who is the farmer? Son of man, which is Jesus. Okay, so we have two parables, two sowers. One is unnamed, someone's sowing the seed, and the second one is Jesus. All right. In last week, you studied, what was the seed? The word of God. Over here. This week, what is the, what is the seed? What? People. Sons and daughters of the kingdom. Last week, middle, what was the soil or the ground? Hearts. Human hearts. In this one... What's the soil? The world. Okay, you got it? Two parables. Jesus likes them, but different meanings. I think it's important that we have both of these as we look at the scripture today and we line them up and we're going to say, which one is it more like, do you think? So let's go ahead and go on for our text of this morning. So this is coming from Mark chapter, uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 26. It says, the kingdom of God is also like a farmer. Okay, did he say it's like a seed? No, okay. So the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. All right. Here we have a parable again. It has some of the same points that Jesus has in our other story. In this thing, who do you think the farmer is? Before you answer the question, I worked on a truck farm for four summers. Does anyone know what a truck farm is? Basically, it's a small vegetable farm, you know, several acres. And you, when it comes to high hours, you put the stuff and you put it in a truck and you take it and sell it to market. 
So I worked in the truck farm. I did the whole thing. So I started before the season began. We plow up the soil. We actually did a little bit of weeding then. Once the soil gets ready and it's all done, you put the seeds in, uh, you pack down the seeds, then you keep it weed free, and then you start to irrigate. So there was irrigation, you know, pipes that had to get and run down the rows, and you got to check to be sure the water's running down the rows, and then you weed again. Then you spray and don't tell anybody uh, in your organic crops that it's sprayed. So then you spray it again, and then you keep weeding, and it comes up and it starts to grow. Now, this guy was really well known for his corn. So he had sweet corn that he grew, but we also had tomatoes and, and, and all kinds of zucchini and pumpkins and stuff like that. And it's a lot of work. So I'm reading this parable and going, listen, this doesn't sound anything like what I think farming is. Our farming is different than what was going on in the days uh, of Israel. And there they had dry land farming, basically. And the growing season is different. So in Israel, they had the early rains, which you talk, the Bible talks about the early rains. They come in the fall. This is the, this is the sign to the farmer that it's time to plow up the ground and get ready to sow. He plows up the ground, puts the seed, and they plow it again so the seed gets underneath the ground. And then they don't do anything, basically, until the, the spring, when they get the latter rains, which is the sign of the fall, that they're going to get the rain. It's going to really juicy up the crop, and the harvest time is coming near. Okay, so that's the context in this passage when they're talking about the farmer. The farmer in dryland doesn't really have irrigation stuff to do. There isn't something that he's supposed to be doing and isn't, okay? But he doesn't know how this thing works out. So who do you think the farmer is in this parable? Who? Well, we don't know angels that sow the seed. I, we don't really see that in Scripture. We see angels harvesting, but we don't sow and see the seed. Who do you think it is? Like you got two choices. It's Jesus or somebody else. What's that? How beautiful the field that goes. So is it Jesus? I don't think it's Jesus either because it says the farmer doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't understand. If you've ever planted seeds, it really is a miracle. It's just amazing. You put the seed in the ground and you, you know, the only miracle is, is not zucchini. That's not a miracle. But everything else, you're like, wow, where, how does such a small seed do this thing? So I believe, I, I will suggest to you today, the brothers and sisters, I believe the farmer in this case is the people of God. The whole people of God were called together to sow the seed into the harvest. That's our role. That's what we've done. Individually, corporately, all together. At Lake City Community Church, I believe Jesus is speaking to us today. We are the farmer and we're to sow the seed. I would suggest to you that based on this parable, that the seed is both the word of God and the sons and daughters of the community. I know the GMT, I've talked with Pastor Eric, I've talked with Pastor Tome. The church wants to send more missionaries from here. They want to send more daughters and sons of Lake City out into the harvest field, out into the fields that have yet to hear anything. And if that's you, you need to talk with someone today to find out the next step. And where does the farmer sow it? I believe the field in this case is the world because the, the language is similar of the harvest coming in that he speaks of in the terrors. In that case, the sow is the world. Now listen. This guy is not Jesus, because he doesn't figure out how this, and I think Jesus knows it all. But he's not an idiot, or she. They don't keep sowing seed where they've already planted the seed. I mean, like if you put corn, you don't, you know, wait, oh, maybe it's not coming up. Let me throw some more. Oh, something's coming up. Could be weeds. Let me throw some more. Oh, it's coming up. It is corn. Let me bumper the hot and throw some more corn. No, that's not what a farmer does. Where do you sow it? Where it's not. On a new field. I believe this parable is telling us God wants the church, the people of God, to sow the sons and daughters of the kingdom with the word of God on their mouths to the fields of the world. All right, let's take a look at this and say, what's the main point then? In this case, I believe the main point is the seed is growing even if we don't see it. Now, this should be really, really good news. Now, we worked in Kazakhstan for five years and saw no fruit. And then the Holy Spirit moved and we saw fruit. Some of you have been believing God for something for so long. You've been believing, you've talked to your relatives, you've talked to your spouse, you've talked to your kids about Jesus, you've tried to share the Bible with your neighbors, you believe God for something to change in your, your own personal life, you're looking for a breakthrough in your business. I'm here to say the seed is working. The seed is working. If you've sowed the seed into people's lives, believe God that it's working. Bahadur uh, is a global teams missionary. He lives in Uzbekistan. 
Uh, about eight years ago, he came to become a follower of Jesus, and he began sharing with his relatives. And he had one man that was particularly burdened. It was his uncle. And he knew if the uncle came to Jesus, it would influence the whole family. He was one of the elder, elder men in the family. And so he would just talk to him about, about, about the word of God, talk to him about Jesus. The man wanted nothing to do with him. He's like, you're not a Muslim anymore. You're a traitor. I don't want any of this stuff. Occasionally he would stop by when he had a need and Bakadur would pray for him. No response. Nothing happens. COVID enters. People are dying. The guy just starts to be consumed with fear. He's afraid, what if I die and I go to Allah? I don't know what's going to happen to me. And the fear becomes so great that he comes to Bahadur and he says, you got to tell me about Jesus. Can I really know that I'm going to heaven? Can I really know that I'm forgiven? Bahadur again begins to unfold the scriptures, tell him about Jesus. They have, you know, a whole samavar of tea. Two, three hours goes by. The uncle says, I'm ready. I want to know that I have peace with God. So Bahadur prays for him. He comes into the kingdom. He influences his whole family to become followers of Jesus. Muslims following Jesus. Seven years he waited sowing the seed. The seed is growing even though he didn't see it. Trust God that the seed is growing. Second point, what's our main action point of this? What are we going to do? I believe the action point is to sow the word, sow the seed, and trust God. Okay, what did I, what did I say I suggest the seed was? Say again, the word and sons and daughters of Lake City Community Church. Uh, you know, in the Muslim world, <clears throat> that if you've got a lot of kids, like you have an immediate entrance, it's like it's a sign of God's blessing if you have a lot of kids. And John, I'm speaking to you. Uh, so if you have a lot of kids, you have immediate entrance into being able to speak to people about Jesus. All over the world, there are people waiting for the sons and daughters of Lake City Community Church to come bring the word of life. We need to sow the seed and trust God. George Mueller, some of you may have heard George Mueller was a German guy, uh, but he did orphanage work in England. And one of the things that George, he's known for two things. He's known for orphan work, but the other thing he's written books on was living by faith. So he committed early on in his life that if he was going to do the work for God, he wasn't going to talk to anybody but God. So when they had needs in the ministry, he would only pray. He would never ask anybody else. Uh, so uh, people used to try and bait him. Like, what do you need? He'd say, you ask God. All right, so people would try and get him to say, you know, what to need. But he refused to do it. Now, there's a funny story about a guy that uh, he was looking for some land uh, to help expand the orphan ministry. And the guy was in the, in, the, in the building and he saw George Mueller's head above the fence. And he was praying that God would give him. And he went, Oh, for heaven's sake, I just give up. Let me just give it to George. If George is asking God, it's a done deal. I'm going to lose in this battle. But George had a lady who said to him, so George, it's towards the end of his life. And George said, he said, if, so if anything you pray, God hasn't answered you. He goes, he was really indignant. He was upset. Said, of course not. God always answers my prayers. He says, oh, come on. You're telling me there's no prayer that God has? No, there's no prayer that God has answered. My father's good. I pray in Jesus' name. He hears me. She says, really? There's nothing you don't have an answer to. Sort of begrudgingly, George says, all right, listen, I'm praying for two people. I've been praying for like 12 and 17 years. They haven't come to faith yet, but God answers prayer. George Mueller dies within two years after his death. Both people came to a mighty salvation experience in Jesus. The word of God works. We sow it broadly. Even if we don't see it, we keep praying. We keep trusting God because the Holy Spirit is watering the word and doing it. Let's go on to the next slide. So right after this story, he tells the parable of the mustard seed. In this one, he says, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows large branches and birds Come and make its nests in the shade. Again, paying attention, the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed. Okay, something very simple. This is where we get our sermon message title. The power of small growing into something big. This is very similar to the, the story that Jesus uh, had told also about the leaven in Matthew 13. He says in this one, and this is like this thing, you've got to pay attention. He says, the kingdom of God is like a woman who took leaven... And she stuck it into a lump of dough and worked it into the dough until the whole leaven is lumped. In global teams, we, this is one of the things we preach all the time. We believe in the leaven. We believe in the power of the seed. If we get it within the culture, if we get it within the unreached people, the power of the seed will produce fruit. It's good seed. The seed is never in question. It's the soil. 
that's in question. So we believe in taking in global teams, we take people that are, that are undereducated, that are poor, that are, that are weak in all physical elements, and we send them in the harvest field and we expect God to do miracles, and he does. God does wonders because the seed produces disproportionate to its size. I'll tell you a story about one of our leaders in South Asia. I can't, I can't tell you the country uh, just because it's too sensitive. He, he was uh, in, in, a, in an area and he was preparing to be the imam, the Muslim teacher, the leader for his tribe. So he was going to the medrasa and he, he was a disciple of the imam himself because he was going to become the next imam for the tribe. And as he's studying the Quran, he comes across the word Isa al-Masih, which is Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Savior in Arabic. And he reads about Jesus and it says about Jesus in the Quran that he is the word of God, he is the breath of God, and that he will be judging the earth. So he's, he's reading this, he's finding these verses in the Quran about, about uh, Jesus, and he said, it sounds like Jesus has a higher place than Muhammad in heaven. So he goes to the chief imam, and he says, hey, listen, I'm reading about Isa al-Masih here in the Quran. Who is it? And the guy said, well, he's a prophet. He says, yeah, but look at what it says about him. How, what, what else can I read about Jesus? She said, just be quiet. Just keep memorizing the Quran. He's a prophet, just like the other prophets. Well, he keeps reading the Quran. He's reading more and more about the Quran. He finds more stuff about Jesus. And then he comes upon this passage in the Quran. Some of you don't know this, but Muslims believe that there are four holy books. The Taurat, Zabur, Injil, and the Quran. So the Taurat is like the law and the prophets. The Zabur is Psalms. And the Injil is the New Testament, particularly the Gospels. Okay, so Muhammad says in the Quran, he says, you can't be a good Muslim. You can't understand the Quran unless you read the free three holy books that came before. The Law and the Prophets, the Psalms, and the Gospels. So he goes back to his chief imam. He goes, hey, did you know in the Quran, it says, I got to read these three books so I can understand the Quran. Can you get me the books? He goes, oh, you can't get those books. They're corrupted. He said, what do you mean he's corrupted? Oh, those are the books of the Christians. The Christians read them, but they messed it up so the meanings aren't the true and the same. He said, well, you, you tell me I can't read this? Muhammad said I had to read these books so I could understand the Quran. He goes, no, you can't get them. They're all corrupted. He goes back and goes, this is messed up. I serve the God of the universe who can't protect his own word, and then he tells me to read it? There's something wrong here. So he, he just, just bothers him. He keeps stirring him up. So he continues to ask his mom question. Tell me more about Jesus. If you said I can't read these books, you need to tell me more about Jesus. What did Muhammad say we should know about Jesus? Finally, the mom is so frustrated. He goes, shut up. You're sounding like a Christian. Would you stop it? Bing. Light goes on. He goes, oh, Christians. I should talk to a Christian if I want to find out about Jesus. So the imam pointed him in the direction of Christians. So he takes off and he goes several hours to the capital, the chief city, where he's heard there's a Baptist missionary. Uh, this Baptist missionary apparently hadn't taken the perspectives class. By the way, perspectives on the world Christian movement is back in Tacoma here in the fall. It's been postponed. You can go out there. You can sign up. Best course ever. We require everybody to take it. It just helps you. It doesn't matter if you're going to the mission field or not. This class will so help you read the Bible, live with your neighbors in ways that just are powerful. So anyway, that class. So this Baptist mission, Muslims don't like dogs. So they're petrified of dogs. They keep them away. So the Baptist, the Baptist missionary has, you know, Jesus, you know, you come unto me all that you were heavy and were laden written there, and then beware of the dog at the gate. Uh, so he's banging outside, you know, petrified of the dog. Eventually the guy comes in, takes the dog. He goes in, tells him his old testimony. And this guy, for two or three days now, just starts to read the scriptures. Goes from the, the sacrifice, begins to explain uh, sin. And there was a sacrifice necessary for it. And then he talked about the law and the prophets and how God tried to get his people to respond to him in full. And in the fullness of time, they brought a Messiah that became the Korban, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Muslims understand sacrifice because every year they have a festival that celebrates the sacrifice of Abraham of his son and they slay a sheep and we saw it in Kazi. they slay a sheep and they lay their hands on the sheep and they believe it takes away the world and I ask a Muslim I said how long does that feeling of cleanness last and he goes oh it's a great feeling he said two maybe three days that's how long the feeling of clean being lasts but Muslims understand sacrifice the blood is needed and he gets to the story and he goes that's it that's what I've been looking for I need a savior I want Jesus so the man says okay now you're a Christian and he baptizes him and he becomes a Christian goes back to his father says father I've become a Christian I've been telling you about Jesus I've become a Christian now father says son I love you so I'll give you 48 hours. 
If you're here in 48 hours, I'm going to kill you. You're a traitor to your people. You're a traitor to your religion. And you're an enemy of God. Because you become a Christian. Those prostitute-going, alcohol-drinking, pork-eating sinners. Because that's what a Christian is to most Muslim. The name Christian is associated with sin and a life of debauchery. Because they understand the freedom of Christ that we have is to do all those things. He says, get out of here. He flees to the capital city. Uh, where he meets with this Baptist man, and he continues to be growing in Jesus. He's reading the Bible. The Lord starts to bless him. He starts to win people to Jesus. They start to give him more responsibility. He starts to oversee churches and becomes uh, a teacher of others. And while this ministry is growing, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, I want you to go back to your homeland and minister to your people to tell them about me. So he's up there. He locates two hours from his father uh, because he can't afford to shame his father and be killed. Uh, so he starts ministering there to the local Muslims and tell them about Jesus. While he's there, he gets a call from one of the guys back in the capital city. He says, we've got seven Muslim men that want to become Christians. Let me just say again, the Christian followers of Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. They weren't called Christians all the time. They were people of the way. They were a sect of Judaism. So Christian, there's nothing holy about Christian. What's holy is Jesus. We want to be identified as Jesus. We don't want to be identified with a system, with a religion. We're about Jesus, about following Jesus. Jesus didn't come, come and join a new religion. He said, come and follow me, me, the person of Jesus. And that's what we do. We invite people, Muslims to follow the person of Jesus and to obey him. So he, the guy calls him up and says, I got seven Muslim young men. They all want to become Christians. So uh, in that country, if you are to convert from Islam to Christianity, you're killed as well as the person that facilitates the change of religion. So the missionary calls up and says, how about you handle this? Not me. He says, yeah, yeah, send him on up. So these seven young Muslim men come up there and they explain to this guy very similar stories to his story. You know, they're reading the Quran. They're studying to become good Muslims. They encounter the stuff with Jesus. Nobody can explain it. They understand from this Baptist guy that they need to become Christians. So... This guy's prepared to start to tell them his story and have them fall in the footsteps. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. Don't you do what someone did to you. So he just stopped. said, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? He says to the seven young men, no, I'm not going to let you become Christians. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to go back to your villages. And I want to talk to your father, your uncle, the older men that you know that are in your life. And I want you to explain to them all that has happened in your life, what you've read and what you've come. But you you may not become Christians. You go back and talk to the elders in your villages and your families. So they go back. Two weeks comes back. Back comes 21 people. The boys say, we did what you said. We told the elders. We brought two of the elders from all of our tribes and villages they all want to become followers of Jesus. So he's astounded. So he's, he explains to them, I want you to stay in your communities. I want you to continue to be good Muslims. A Muslim is one who's submitted to God. I want you to talk about Jesus, but stay in your communities. Stay with people, love them, and share Jesus with them. And this is the beginning. This is about 25 years ago. I got an email from him yesterday. I'm sorry, last week, not yesterday. I got a meal from him last week. He wrote me, I've been asking him to help me understand what's going on. He said, in 2020, we baptized 26,000 Muslims. 26,000 from one small seed to a movement to Christ. The seed produces disproportionate to its size. We need to sow the seed, brothers and sisters. We need to sow the sons and daughters of the kingdom from Lake City into the harvest fields with the word of God on their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Brothers, it's a great thing. The other thing we take the action point in is we need to sow the seed where it's not. As I said, the farmer's not an idiot. You don't keep sowing this fl- the, the field that's already been done. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be talking to people here in the United States about Jesus. I'm just saying, if we're going to do what the parable says, we've got to get out into the world. The field is the, the world. We need to sow sons and daughters in the word of God into the, king, into the world to fulfill that. Spurgeon uh, uh, had a phrase. It's a paraphrase of him that I found. He says, the word of God is like a lion. We don't need to defend it. We just need to open the cage. 
word of God is like a lion. We don't need to defend it. We just need to open the cage. We need to get the word of God out. It'll work disproportionate to its size, changing nations, changing communities, changing families. If we'll just sow the word, if we'll just sow the daughters and sons of our communities, of our families out yesterday, a Saturday, last night we had a service. And uh, I hope this is okay. I won't, I won't use the names. So a young woman came up to me and she says, my heart is burning with what you said. I believe the Lord is calling me to be one of those daughters of Lake City to go out. And her mom is there on the point of tears saying, really? Because I'm, I'm asking this woman to go to the, the Sudanese refugee camps in Uganda to minister to, to young, uh, young men and women that want to take the, the gospel into Sudan, South Sudan, where the Muslims are. And she says, this is my daughter. This is my daughter. It costs something, but I believe that you're up for it. Lake City's been great missions vision. We've so, you've, you've gone to translation and adopt people groups and you've, and you've said in the Bible, now I believe the Lord is saying, let's up our game together. Let's send more. Let's do more to bring in the harvest fields. Let's uh, keep moving here. We'll finish. I'd love to actually have your questions right now. We want to do this. So uh, Jesus, I'm going to finish this, but this actually came a little bit earlier in the passage, and I'm going to go back to it because I believe it's a fitting place for us to, to end our time together this morning. Jesus asked them, would anyone take a light, a light, a lamp, and put it under the basket under a bed? Well, of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine, for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. Uh, this is a, like a you know, a slang phrase or a proverbial phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him listen. You know, like in English, we'd say to someone that needs to get after it, we'd say, you need to put your nose to the grindstone. Yeah, it's, it's not literally sticking your nose on a turning wheel, right? It means you need to work hard and get away from the distractions. So Jesus, when he's saying, he who has ears to hear, it's, it's a phrase, it's an idiomatic phrase that means what I'm saying is important, pay attention and then do it. Pay attention and do it. If you've got ears to hear, then do it. If you hear what I'm saying, do it. So this is what he's saying. Now, this is real similar to what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm just going to read that so we can compare the two to get more meaning what he's saying. You are the light of the world. Okay, where did he say you're the light? World. Jesus is global. He's always thinking the whole world, all the people groups. He's not just thinking about your family. He loves your family. He loves our families. He loves Lake City, but his context is always the world. Jesus thinking the world. God so loved the world that he gave. So you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we have a little bit more about light and lamps there. And what it is, it's the good deeds that tells people. Let's keep going. So then he keeps going and says, pay a close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, so the idea of listen, if in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The, the Hebrew there is the word shama, which has the idea to listen and obey. Same idea. The closer you listen, the closer you hear, and the more understanding, you, if you listen to it, if you hear it and you obey it, you will be given more, and then you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, again, the idea of hearing and doing, more understanding will be given. But those that are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. I, I know that uh, it's really important for our kids uh, to feel loved. I know in our daughters, one of the big things is, that's not fair. Um, we, we try to say, well, I'm not sure that God's about fair. He's about right. So we do our best to, for our daughters to try and know how God's made them and so that we treat them in the right way so that they'll follow after God. Every kid doesn't get exactly the same thing. This doesn't sound fair to most Americans. What? Even what I have, I'm going to lose? And you're going to give to him? What? Well, that's not fair. No, it's not fair. This is how the kingdom works. Those who do, get more. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then my father will come and love you. And we will sit down and have a meal with. We'll draw close. If we obey Jesus, if we do what we know, we get more intimacy, more revelation, more spiritual authority. And the principle applies to every part of life. The places that we're obeying God, God gives us more. If we don't, we lose it. Back to that principle at the beginning 
about God withholding understanding if we don't obey. It's an act of mercy. So we, uh, we have a guy, um, our, a country leader in Pakistan, and uh, COVID provided a lot of opportunities, tremendous needs. And many of you here in, in, um, in Lake City Community Church gave to global teams. You helped us do outreach. You helped us meet the needs of our, of our field partners and missionaries, but you also helped us do outreach. So in Pakistan, some of your money went to Pakistan, and the global teams folks were interested in, in going to some of these villages where the government wasn't doing anything. So they load up the trucks with the food. And when they would go into a village, when they come into an area, they would invite the, uh, the, the, the local leaders to participate with them because they weren't trying to do something against the communities. They were trying to be a blessing to the community. So they'd invite local leaders in this one place in a mountain in northern Pakistan, one of the guys that they invited that was a leader in the tribe was a Talibani. That means he had been a commando in the Taliban army. And the guy was like, yeah, you guys are lame. He's just mocking them. And he's, you know, they're passing out food to the villagers that are, some of them are on the verge of starvation because they've not had any and the government hasn't been able to help them. And they're passing out food. And he hears this voice and says, watch what they're doing for your people. It's really loud. It wasn't audible, but he heard it. So he stopped. And he's watching these global teams, Pakistani, former you know, Muslim followers of Jesus, passing out with compassion and love and understanding to these families that have nothing. And he starts to see the tape in his head of the, what he did in these same villages. So I was telling you there's some wonderful parts about the Quran that point to Jesus and things that you'd say, oh, that's just like the Bible. There's other parts that are kind of messed up. And one of the things that's kind of messed up is what you're allowed to do to people that either are not Muslims or to Muslims if you were on a mission for God. And the Taliban believes they're on a mission for God. What gives them the right to steal other people's sons, money, food, clothing, houses. So this guy is, they're watching these guys pass out stuff. And he remembers the picture that in these villages, in these mountains, he and his Taliban buddies had come in and stolen from these poor people because he was on a mission for God. And he's looking with this and Jesus says, I want you, he didn't, I'm sorry, the voice said, I want you to love the people like these people. And he said, who are you? And the voice said, I'm Isa al-Masih. He's like stunned. You know, he's this radical Muslim guy. The GT guys go, hey, time for prayers. Because the GT guys, they pray five times a day like a Muslim because the Bible says pray at all times. So five times is nothing. So they're praying at all times. So they throw out their, their bats and they get down and get ready for the prayer and put themselves in the Muslim posture. And they say, oh, Lord God, thank you for your great love for these people that you give to them food and you give to them the bread of life. Thank you that you brought a savior to us in Asa al-Masik. We praise you for your goodness and kindness. Alhamdulillah. Ameen. Taliban guy goes, <laughs> never had no Muslim pray like that. Such passion, such love. He said, how do you pray like that? And they start to tell this guy, Taliban to get saved. He and his family. He, this guy's a tremendous influence. Why? He saw the light. He saw the good deeds and went, this was not a part of what I was a part. If our light, if our deeds shine before men, God will bring fruit. Now, let me just say, there's a bunch of do-gooders. We're in a culture where, like right now, everybody, you know, you're supposed to, everybody's got their own truth and just, you know, we don't bother people. It's not good deeds. It, it's not just about doing the stuff. Yes, Jesus is calling you to do the stuff, but he's calling you to do it from a place of life. In John chapter 1, it says, In him was life, Jesus, in him was life, and the life was light. In him was life, and the life was light. What this guy saw, the Taliban, was life, joy, passion, freedom, and out of that life was flowing light that brought revelation. That's the first thing. When we do good deeds, when we're out in people, it should bring revelation to people. Uh, first Corinthians, or Second Corinthians says, the reason that the unbelievers, First Corinthians chapter 1, uh, not chapter 1, First Corinthians, the reason the unbelievers haven't seen is that their eyes are blinded, lest they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Believers out there, they bring revelation. Their good deeds call people to do something, not because it's a religious duty, but because it flows from life. If today you're here and said, like me, you've been trying to please God. You live a joyless existence. I remember standing at my locker in junior high school and saying, oh God, I can't keep this up. I hope I can be good enough to get to heaven. I'm working as hard as I can. But let me just tell you, God, I don't want anyone to be like me. I'm miserable. Like you gave Moses, don't kill. 
Got it. I didn't kill. And then you bring Jesus and says, don't get angry, where it's equivalent to murder. I can't do this. I can't do it any longer. That's because we're not called to. We're not called to work harder for God, to try and please him and win our way into heaven like a Muslim. No. God offers us a life of forgiveness in Jesus. And if you've been struggling and laboring under that burden of self-righteousness, trying to earn your way to God, I've got good news. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. If you don't know Jesus today, you're being offered life. If you want to know about that, you come up here afterwards. I'm not going to have you say a silent prayer. No, if, you, if you're serious about the life that Jesus offers, you come here, Pastor Tom, other pastors will be here to pray for you. If today you said, I want the life that Jesus life. I'm tired of working for God. I'm trying, tired of being, trying to figure this out on myself. I can't do it. I just can't leave up to God's standards. Jesus has. God's accepted him. And through Jesus, he's accepted you. Second, obedience to what you know brings increase. There was a guy that I got to meet before he went on and graduated to be with Jesus. He was part of the Welsh Revival. Uh, just at the turn of the century, this amazing movement of God. Just tens of thousands of people uh, came into Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Impacted the whole, whole culture. I used to, uh, the things we're going to, we, we're running out. Of, well, maybe I'll tell you this story because it's interesting. Can you, can, can, are you okay if I tell you another story? So uh, the Welsh reviver, there's a guy that was a, a revival historian, J. Edwin Orr, this very staid British man that would study revivals, which are pretty crazy stuff, and this guy's just a scholar. And he's became the foremost expert on revivals in the world. You can see his stuff online. He's got a couple of books that are mostly out of print, but you can still hear his audio stuff. He's just really low-key. So he would study revivals and how it worked and how prayer, and he wrote a number of books on, on prayer as the role of spiritual waking. But he would track revivals to figure out what happened, how did it work. He was into all the numbers. And what he would find is whenever the gospel would break forth in revival, there'd be radical change in the communities. You know, so crime would be down. So in the Welsh revival, he would study, and uh, judges were given white gloves, meaning there was, there was no cases to try. There was no crime to try. Uh, prostitute places shut down, brothels shut down, uh, liquor establishments shut down. The police departments had nothing to do, so they started forming uh, gospel quartets. So they would go and sing in churches because they had nothing to do. The gospel transformed the society. But then he ran into this really weird story. That during the revival, and the revival at the, towards the beginning and early parts of the revival, the coal production in, in, in Wales, they, they do a lot of coal, coal production fell during the beginning of the revival. And it falls down, and it plateaus, and then it starts to come back up. And he said, that's weird. He said, every place I've ever studied, when the gospel comes and revival comes, everything good changes around. But this is not good. You know, coal production, which is how people make money. So he starts to research it. Now, this is a very, this guy's got his, you know, 10 PhDs or whatever. He's a very serious guy. He's not given to extravagant. He goes, so he did a ton of research and he figured out. Coal production fell because the miners, there was a mass movement to Christ among the miners. And as the gospel penetrated their hearts and they were filled with life, their language changed. They quit cussing. And the donkeys didn't know what to do in the mines. <laughs> it took them three months to train the donkeys in his language to learn the language of Canaan. The power of the gospel changes. So this guy was a part of the gospel. And he said to me, he was preaching, not to me, he was preaching to come. And he said, obedience is not obedience unless it's instant. Obedience is not obedience unless it's instant. This is what Jesus is saying. If you listen to what I'm saying, do it. And then you'll be given more. Then you'll have greater intimacy. You'll have greater fruitfulness in God. So today, let's bring it home. I believe the Lord wants us now to take action on what we've done. First thing, we're to speak and sow the word often, broadly, and boldly. Sow the word of God often, boldly, and broadly. Listen. I'm not going to go all name and claim it on you, but the Bible is full of language about the power of speaking the word of God, both for you and the people that are around you. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy. After it says, the Lord your God, you shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words I'm commanding you today 
They're to be upon your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You'll speak of them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You'll put them as reminders on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Talking about the word of God. There's tons of places where it says, Jesus says, whoever confesses with their mouth, that he's a, you have to use your mouth. You have to talk. You have to talk the word of God. It'll transform you. Now listen, I got three girls. They're teenagers. Studying the Bible with dad is not their favorite thing to do in the world right now. So we have to, you know, we have to adapt. One, one scripture, one talk, shorter talks, less time, talking about the scripture, praising God with thankfulness. Even today in my devotions this morning says, don't return evil for evil, but bless for this is what you were called to and you shall receive a blessing. It's the power of the mouth. We speak the word of God. Now listen, if you, some of you are like my wife. My wife is a natural evangelist. She just talks to people with Jesus. She just has no problem. She's like, like, talks to Jesus about people and she invites them to church. Uh, so our neighbors across the street, they're living in it's, anyway, it's like a drug infested little illegal B&B. So she strikes up a conversation with this guy. I don't know. His name's like Tito. It's something like that. So she talks to Tito. Tito might be high, but she says to Tito, listen, you need, you need to, you need to come to church. We want to tell you about Jesus. He can, you know, he can do stuff for your life. Why don't you come to church? He says, great. I'll come to church. She says, when? Uh, he says, uh, I'll come on Sunday. Okay, what time? We'll pick you up at 1045. So we're at 1045. We're waiting for Tito. Tito never shows up. Okay? So my wife sees Tito sometime in the next week in his car. He pulls up outside the car. She goes, hey, Tito. Tito sees my wife. He's booking for the house. My wife runs across and says, Tito! Hey, you said you were going to come to church, man. You need Jesus. Okay, that's my wife. She doesn't need any prompting. She just can talk about Jesus. Remember, she finds a play and she just does it. You know, I need a plan. Okay, I need a plan. I'm not like that. So maybe you need a plan. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just speak the word. You know, like I have to think, I'm going to go to the store and I got to stop thinking about work or whatever groceries I'm buying. And that's a person. And I'm going to say something rather like, I, I'm going to say, God bless you. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name. Okay, look. We all got to start somewhere. Get a plan. If you're not on my way, get a plan. Speak the word. Talk about it. Talk to people about Jesus. Talk to them in your family. And sow your sons and daughters into the harvest fields of the world. Second, joyfully trust that God is working even if you don't see it. Joyfully trust knowing that God is working. Listen, some of you have just been carrying a heavy burden. If you've done something the Lord has asked you to do and you're not seeing fruit, here's the word to you. Relax. Praise the Lord. Just joyfully trust that he's working in the word, whether it be in your family, be in your business, whether it be your neighbors. Trust this, that God is working. Don't fret. Don't worry. Rejoice in the Lord if you've done it. Third, take action quickly on what you learn. Do it fast. Now, listen, the GMT has graciously made it easy for you to leave today without condemnation and judgment falling upon you. In the back, there's all kinds of ways that you can respond today. All right, anybody over here? Anyone have a cell phone that has a camera here in the front? Oh, come on. You guys are lying. Thank you. Come here, please. All right, why don't you pull up your camera? So this is Global Teams in the back there. This is real easy. Here's what you got to do. Can you shoot that there for me, the QR code? Okay, did it go somewhere? Click that. Huh? Oh, no, I'm just going to do it again. Just let your camera... Maybe, how old is your phone? <laughs> don't, don't take a picture. Oh, man. This is why preachers should test their sermon illustrations before they ship. Anyway, it was a good idea. These are in the back. <laughs> if you shoot this, our staff made a landing page just for you. If you take your phone, use this code, and it pulls it up. I'm jumping around. Sorry, it's probably not your phone. Go back there. Please, please, would you do me a favor? Just shoot your QR code. It has a landing page that says, Welcome Lake City Community Church, and gives you some ways to engage. But the global, uh, the global missions team has made it so easy for you to go out there. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, You shall be my witnesses both in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All right, so here is it. You can go out there right now. You can swim in the shallow water. There's out there, there's called uh, socks and chocolate. Here's what you need to do, socks and chocolate. You just need to get some stuff and give it to socks and chocolate so they can minister to the homeless. You can go out there and work with Tacoma Rescue Mission. 
to go help some homeless. You can do with Lake City's Bread of Life. Donate some food. Low bar, but you've got to go out there and sign up so that they know that you can help. Second, maybe you think, I'm a little bit more adventurous. I could go for the Judean and Samaria thing. Do you, if you have trouble having a spiritual conversation, go find yourself a Muslim. The whole world view of Muslims is all about God. So you talk to a Muslim, you say something like, God bless you, like, go. You believe in God? I believe in God. Let's talk about God. It's so easy with a Muslim to talk about God because they're thinking about God all the time and they're evangelistic. They'll probably try and win you to Islam. But you can go out here and you can t help student, uh, refugees and people that have come to the United States learn English. You just have to have a conversation with them. Go right out there and you have uh, something at the station. ESL at the station. Right out there. All you do is sign up. You can get some time. They'll coach you. They'll help you. You have some conversations in English. The Muslims want to be there. You can evangelize them freely because they've chosen to be there. No compulsion right there. You can go out there in Samaritan's Relief. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus when there's a crisis. So when people have something, a typhoon rose in the United States, they have people that do the initial cleanup, and then Samaritan's Ministries goes out there and helps rebuild their house. You sign up for a date, and they'll just call you. Hey, we're ready for you to go. Rock and roll, baby. We're going to, Los, uh, going to uh, New Orleans. And you go and you minister the love of Jesus in word. Now, if you're a little more adventurous and you want to go to the ends of the earth, go out here, shoot this little baby right here. There's one over here for global teams. We're looking for people to land in, in uh, Uganda among the refugee camps. Also in Almada, Kazakhstan. If you shoot this little QR code right out there, it'll give you an interest form. You can do something in, in, in places in the world. Shoot that. Out there also, you'll see uh, the CAN team. The CAN team is global. Is, um, Lake City Community Churches outreach to the Dagestani people. They're planning a team to go to Dagestan, Russia, just ripe with radical, crazy Muslims. You'll love it. Sign up for there to get the church involved. You can figure out how to get the church involved in that as well. You can go out to the Passion Center. You can sign up for trips to Malawi late fall or in spring next year. There's the Family Hope Center with the orphans. And then there's the Island of Hope. They're looking for some folks to partner with them financially to help women get out of prostitution and start new lives in Uganda. Please visit them out there. Now listen, did I make it clear that one of the messages of the parable today is that if you hear something, you're supposed to obey it. I'm sorry, if, was it clear today that one of the things of the perils is that if you hear something and you know what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to obey. Was that clear? Yeah. Good. It's fantastic. Thank you. So you're all clear that if you leave this building and don't visit any of the things that your leaders and pastors prepare for you, you're probably in a bad place. <laughs> so no guilt, but... I want you to be prosperous and blessed and to be joyful and reveling in the things God. And I want you to leave joyful. And the way to leave joyful is to just do whatever the Holy Spirit is asking you to do as you go out there today. Thank you so much for being with The worship team wants to come back up and close the service. Listen, if you are here again, I want to say if the Holy Spirit is stirring up and you say, I think God is calling me to have to be one of the, so the daughters and sons from Lake City to be sowed in the fields of the least, least reach. Tom will be here. Pastor Eric will be here. Pray for him. If you today said, Jesus, is that cool? Jesus is that full of life? Jesus offers me that. And you say, today, I want to know about life. Come up here and the pastor will be ready uh, to pray for you. Father, we are just so grateful that you loved us, that you drew us into the kingdom. You didn't coerce us, but in your great love, you pursued us and you gave us Jesus. Father, you didn't hide us off in a corner, but like lamp set on, the, on a pedestal, you made us to be lights to this broken world because we have great news. Bless my brothers and sisters here as together we seek to pursue the extension of your kingdom to the ends of the earth. Amen.